Lord. Father, this morning we just come to you. This first day of this fourth month, Lord, we look to you. You've already gone before us. You've already seen the end from the beginning. And it is good. It is good. So on the fourth day, you divided the light from the darkness. And I believe this fourth month, there will be a great division. You will continuously divide what is yours and what is not yours. In us, among your people, and amongst the people. Let there be a division, Lord. Let there be a division. So that we will know what is of you and what is not of you. Let there be clarity in the house of God and the hearts and the minds of your people. Touch, Father. Touch us. We stand in your presence. We fear nothing but you. Our God has gone before us and is preparing a place for us. You said every place the sole of your foot treads, I give it to you. April 1 to 30th, we declare and we proclaim and we prophesy victory for your people. They will not be defeated by powers of darkness, but they will defeat the powers of darkness. For God himself will take us in triumph in Christ Jesus. That's your word. Many who are waiting for breakthroughs will experience a breakthrough in this fourth month. For there will be a division. There will be a division. We lift your word. We lift your name above everything else. And I speak peace. And I speak healing and health and strength into the bodies and the hearts of your people. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be made whole in Jesus' name. And as we look into the word, speak to us. Speak to us, Father. Teach us. Teach us. But these are no ordinary words. These are not the words of men. These are the words of God himself spoken through men. And they have the power to work in those who believe. So speak to us and teach us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We were looking at the book of Nehemiah. We'll go to chapter 8. The last time when we looked, we asked that question. Are we dependable? And now we come to chapter 8. <clears throat> and we'll just read first three verses for the beginning. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in the front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with the understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning till midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So we are now finally into the 8th chapter of 13 chapters. We are here in the 8th chapter. In uh, Nehemiah 1 and 2, we saw how God prepares a man of God, man, woman of God, how he prepares. In chapter 3, we saw how he prospers that work that man does. In chapter 4 to 7, we are dealing, we saw the problems that come when you start working for God, doing the work of God. We'll see problems. Now, though we start a work because it is God's work, we think it will be easy, it will be smooth. It is not so. We'll face lots of kind of, sometimes you face kind of problems which you will not face in the world when you start doing the work of God. So chapter 1 and 2 is the man of God. Chapter 3 is how that man prospers. But 4 to 7, we are dealing with the problems in the work. Now in chapter 8, you have a transition. 
if you want to put it in simple terms, if chapter 1 to 7 is about the construction, about the walls of Jerusalem, 8 to 13 is basically instruction to the people who will live in Jerusalem. There's no point having construction without instruction. Okay. And that's basically what revival is all about. Okay. Chapter 8 is about how revival will begin within the walls of the city. If we don't see that, we don't understand the very purpose of what we are constructing. Because the walls are built, it is well defended. But the question is, the lives of the people lived within the walls. Are those lives pleasing to God? Okay, Because ultimately it does not matter what we look like outside. If we are dead inside. Okay, This is a state of a church in Revelation chapter 3. And words one state of many churches, but one very clearly God says. Three, chapter three and verse one. Revelation three, one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things say he who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. You have a name. You are alive. The fact is that you are dead. Okay? So it can be true for a person, a home, a church, or a nation. Okay? All the programs of a church mean nothing to God if the people inside are more dead than living. Okay? Churches boast about their programs. Okay, they talk about their outreach and programs and social programs and everything. But all that means nothing. It's all construction. All that means nothing if the people inside are dead. Okay, so we will see. Construction is over. Walls are done. Gates are hung. But the actual work is only now beginning. The solution to everything is what we call as revival. Make a revival. Revive means to bring back to life. Remember, primarily revival is not for the unbeliever. It is for the believer. Though unbelievers may be saved during revivals, it's primarily aimed at the believer who has fallen away, who has gone cold, who is backslidden. It's aimed at them. So you will see. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Okay. It's important how it is worded. It's interesting. Now, all the people gathered together as one man. Okay. They came together as one man. Okay. Whether it is a person. That's why we don't only pray for healing. We pray, be made whole. You become one person. Your spirit, your soul and body are in alignment. One whole. A person becomes one. Okay. A family becomes one. A church becomes one. One. Okay. They came as one man in the open square, right? In front of the water gate. And we had looked. So in our beginning in chapter three, when we studied, remember, we had seen, we don't have to go there. We know the water gate represents the word of God. They came as one man in the open square in front of the water gate. One of the uses of the term uh, water in the Bible is about the word of God. They came as one man in front of the square that is in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded Israel. This is how revival begins. It's no longer the pastor demanding the people. It is the people demanding the pastor. We want to hear. Until that happens, revival does not take place. Everywhere we see the pastors pushing, pushing. Please, please listen. Please listen. Don't look at your watches. It's not too long. It's not the pastor here. It's not Ezra. It's not Nehemiah. It's the people. The people. The people are asking. When the word of God becomes primary in our life again, Okay, 
when God, when you say God becomes number one, it is impossible for God to become number one without the word becoming number one. That's how gospel according to John, the, the gospel of the four gospels, which is different. This is how it begins, John chapter one and verse one, the primacy. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Genesis 1 1 begins saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We have to come back to that. Until we come back to that, genuine revival has not taken place. And why has revivals that has taken place, or we talk about it, it never lasted. It will only last when the Word of God gets primacy in our life. In Psalm 38, 138 and verse 2. We have looked at it many times. Yeah. 138 verse 2. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. <coughs> you know, until this happens, nothing lasting is going to happen in anybody's life, anybody's home, anybody's church or anybody's nation. It's not going to happen. See, people are looking for solutions. People are not looking for the primacy of word in their life. You look at almost most of the big name preachers today. You listen to them. I'm not mentioning names, but you know these are the big names in at least the English-speaking Christian world. They are almost most of them are motivational speakers. They're good speakers. They're motivational speakers. And if you look at it, especially in U.S., if you look at it, nothing is changing. The nation is only going down and down and down and down and down. You know what? They are motivational speakers. You listen to them for one hour. They are very powerful. People are jumping and dancing and clapping and all. But there is very little exposition of the word. They have this huge, massive screen. You never see the word of God coming on the screen. Every planet in the solar system seems to be moving behind them, but the word of God doesn't come, though the Bible says he has exalted, magnified the word of God above all their name. You know, I listen to them. I listen to them. At the end of the day, I look at them and say, by the way, where is the word? Where is the word? Where are you magnifying the word? You're just feeding the emotions of the people. And there is no real change. There is no real conviction. And a whole nation will go and most of them Christians who go to these churches go and still vote for baby killers. Because there's no conviction. There's no conviction. Because for conviction to come, motivational speaking will not bring conviction. The word of God has to be lifted up. Word of God has to be lifted up. And that's what the scripture says, the word of God. And God had allowed a nation to go down, destroyed them using their enemies, destroyed the temple, taken them into captivity. And after 70 years, now they are willing to come back to the word. Willing to come back to the word. Now they are asking for the word. <coughs> okay. And the same thing true. The way Israel went is how Europe went. Now US is going. You want to come back, you have to come back to the word. The word has to be magnified. Right? If we know our history in after Israel went, then there was Judah. <coughs> Judah had deteriorated under wicked kings. And one of the most wicked was Manasseh. And then his son Ammon. Ammon's son Josiah was a different king. At the age of 16, he started seeking the Lord. Then the Bible records an incident took place in Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 14. An incident took place. They were cleaning the temple. While they're cleaning the temple and taking things out, now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest from the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses, they discovered the book. Meaning for years, all these rituals are going on, celebrations are going on, or whatever religious activities are going on, and there is no word. There is no word. And that's the truth about Christianity in most churches. Everything is going on, but very, there is very little of the word. And here in this case, the word wasn't there at all. And they discovered the word. And we know from there, after the word was discovered, begins the greatest revival Israel, Judah had ever seen. After David, the greatest king Judah had was Josiah. And it all began because the word of God was discovered. 
again. And it has its place in the lives and the hearts of people. And if you look back in history, every revival that has taken place, starting with the Reformation, Protestant Reformation, to Luther, to Calvin, to Tyndale, to the Puritan Reformations of Britain or U.S., every revival has taken place, it's when the word has found its place again. The word has found its place again. And until that takes place, it's just a flash in the pan. And we talk about the Holy Spirit moving. We talk about the Holy Spirit moving. But the thing is that the Holy Spirit has never moved where the word was never preached, where the word was never magnified. Right? That's how Genesis begins. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Yet it does not do until the word of God comes. And that's what happens. They stood as one in front of this open square before the water gate. And the people asked. It is not the pastor asked. The people asked Ezra the scribe. In verse 1, he's called the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. You will see that's what happened there. They discovered that book in Josiah's. Okay, And we have to discover the book again in our lives. We have to go back to the word of God and give its preeminence. Verse 2, there he is called the priest. Nehemiah 8 and verse 2. So Ezra the priest, the scribe, the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. In First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. 4. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Till I come. This is what Paul tells through Timothy to the churches. Till I come. Okay, remember, most people, even those days, most people had never had a copy of the Bible. So the copies were few. So it was the public reading of scripture. Now we have copies and there is no reading. <laughs> no? We have copies, so many copies of Bible and people do not read. And sometimes people wonder, why does nothing happen? Nothing happened. Nothing is going to happen until we read, until we hear. So if you look at chapter 2, I mean, chapter 8 and verse 2, this is what happens over there. He brought out the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding. So on the first day of the seventh month, okay, today the first day of the fourth month, all who could hear, but it's not enough to hear, it is also important that we understand the so question is, one, is our mind there? Second, are we hearing what is being preached or what is being read? Third, do we understand? In Mark chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 23, this is what Jesus says. He said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a phrase Jesus will use so many times and you see in the book of Revelation 2 and verse 23. If anyone has ears, ears to hear, let him hear. Having ears does not mean we hear. We hear. That means everybody has ears. Everybody has ears. But Jesus asks this question. If anyone has ears, we need to have ears to hear. Ears to hear. That demands attention. It demands attention. It demands putting away of all the other things so that we are focused on the word of God. Luke chapter 8 and verse 18. This is what Jesus said. Luke 8 and verse 18. Therefore take heed how you hear. It's not that we have ears to hear. We should be very careful about how we hear. Because for whoever has, to him more will be given. If you look at the context, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about hearing from God. Those who hear from God hear better. Hear better and hear better, and hear better, and hear better, understand better. And who does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. And those who do not have, who do not hear, who do not, who neglect the word of God, who do not give preeminence to the word of God, even what they have heard in the past will be taken away. It will be taken away. Their minds will be left empty. Will be left empty. And it is not, it is not, and that's basically what has happened. Basically what has happened in the Christian world. So, God says, be careful how you hear. Be careful that you understand. 
if you listen, if you read the words 5 and 6 of Nehemiah 8, you will see not only were the people attentive, they were very, very reverential. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Okay, so that's from where we have this practice in many churches. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. They are, they're giving reverence to the word of God. Okay, and then Israel blessed the people and great, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands and they bow their heads and worship the Lord. So you will see there is reverence and there is the, there also participation. The attentive. The attentive. It's not just sitting there quietly. You know, sometimes, you know, there is no response. You're looking like you're preaching in a cemetery. Right? There's no response from the people. Okay? Or it's too much excitement and, you know, it's just all emotions and it hasn't reached their, it hasn't reached their soul or their understanding and all. Because if you've really reached understanding, that kind of jumping won't be there. Because you understand what the Word of God really, really implies. And if you look over there, go back to uh, eight verses two and three, uh, one to three. You will see that Nehemiah steps aside. Okay, it is Ezra now. Nehemiah is a great leader; it's a great administrator, but he knows he is no Moses. Okay, he moves aside for Ezra, the priest, to speak. He moves aside, and if you look at the person who is speaking, this is what is written about him in Ezra chapter seven and verse ten. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is the man who is speaking. Okay, this is the man who is teaching them. He had first prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He's the teacher. First, what does he do? He seeks the law of the Lord. He studies the word of God. He's seeking God, and then what he understands, he practices. He does it, and then. He goes and he teaches the statutes and ordinances in Israel. The whole thing is that the people are touched. If you look at verse 3, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 3, this is another important part. He read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning till midday. Before the men and the women, those who could understand, and the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law from morning till anywhere between four to six hours. He's reading. And the question is now think about it. Where will we find the people who can handle six hours of the reading of the word of God? Where can we handle get people who can handle four to five to six hours? When we will be ready when we have gone through what they have gone through? When we have gone through what they have gone through? Then only we will start appreciating the word of God. I'm not saying necessarily everybody appreciates. No, you could go through what they go through and come out angry, bitter, throw the word of God aside and go away and live in captivity and die in captivity. Or you could come through it and you start actually valuing the word of God. And this is what happened. Okay. Four hours, five hours, they're standing there. For the first time in their history in 70 years, the word of God has found prominence in their life. Nobody's saying it's too long. Nobody's saying it is too long. Everybody knew the captivity was too long. The oppression was too long. 70 years of captivity. Now they are ready. And when the word of the Lord, I'm, I'm absolutely sure when it is being read, when they come to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and when they start hearing the consequences of disregarding the law of God and what will happen to them, I'm sure because the Bible, the Bible says, we'll, we'll look at it later, you will see they started weeping. Weeping. No, they start weeping, which is true. They realize we didn't have to go this way. We didn't have to lose our children. We didn't have to go into captivity. We didn't have the temple to be destroyed. We didn't have to go through any of these things. You know why where we are, where we are? Because we disregarded the word of God. 
disregarded the word of God. Now they are ready to listen. And the word of God is never too long for them anymore. And I'm telling you, at individual level, not at a corporate level, because when individuals are touched in the new covenant, it becomes practical in the corporate level. You know what happens? We have to come back to that point where the word of God is no longer boring for us. It becomes life. This is a question Jesus asked. This Bible says in John chapter 6 when Jesus started teaching the word of God. And the Bible says the doctrine became tough and the disciples started leaving. The disciples, the disciples, not the crowds. The crowds had already left. The disciples started leaving. Now he's got only 12 people left. And Jesus still doesn't change. And he asked, do you also want to go? And that's when people, Peter gives that incredible reply in John 67 and 667 and 68. Do you also want to go away? Jesus said to the twelve. Now remember, this is only connected with the teaching of the word of God. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know? Now, for these people who have come back from the captivity, who have settled down inside Jerusalem, the word of God has become life. Has become life. See, unlike our body, unlike our body, our body we know has its limits. After some time we cannot eat anymore. We push away. I'm full. But our soul is not like that. Our soul is not like that. Our soul is what we call a spiritual entity. A spiritual entity. Our soul, our spirit. And that's what he's talking about, no? You look at addicts. Who can watch movies, let us say, in some, talking about seeing and watching movies. They can watch movies at an, I know on Sundays in the uh, college days, guys from the, we had only three shows. We had an afternoon show and there was, after that there was another and then there was a second show. And there were guys who watched all three shows and came back at one or two in the morning. It didn't matter. I mean, there was only three shows that they could totally watch three. If there was four, they would have watched four. And they went to these complexes. Even those days, they were complexes, so they don't even have to travel far. One complex, one theater, the next theater. You know what? They could handle it, and they could take it. Now, let me ask this question. The man at gatherings, he had demons. He was demon-possessed. And when Jesus asked this question, what is your name? What did they say? A legion is up to 7,000. If your soul or your spirit, let us say whichever way, can be inhabited by 7,000 demons. 7,000 demons. Okay? That's why the Bible says he gives spirit without measure. Spirit without measure. Your soul and your spirit is a spiritual entity. It can contain. It can take in. It can really, 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 really take in. Now we see Dr. Richard sitting over here. And then there are the rest, two or three of us sitting over here. But if you look into Dr. Richard's soul, his brain, his mind, it's got so much knowledge of medicine. Brain-wise, Sammy's brain may be bigger because his head is bigger. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. But when it comes to medical knowledge, you know how much knowledge is there in that mind? You think about it. Think about it in his case. Think about it from childhood onwards, all the days of his schooling, college, MBBS, then post-doctoral, all this learning. How did it all get into a permit into his soul? How can it contain? I mean, he can keep on studying. He can do as many number of MDs and whatever. You know, your soul can take. It's not your body that is taking it. It's your soul that is taking it. It's your soul that is taking it. Okay, and we have to understand that is why the demonic wants the human soul because they knew when God breathed into Adam, unlike an animal, when he God breathed into Ad Adam, the Bible says Adam became a living soul. There is a part of man which the demonic wants, which God also, which is God breathed. That is why this evolution is one of the biggest, stupidest things ever because no animal has that capacity. No animal has that capacity. They cannot think. They do not have it. They were not God-breathed. He created by the word of his mouth, but he did not breathe into them. So there is this soul part of it. And you know what? If you go earlier uh, in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, the words that I speak to you, I think it is 65 or 63 or something. 
the word that I speak to you. Flesh, flesh, yeah. See, look at verse 63, yeah. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The word of God is spirit. Okay, And your soul is spiritual. You cannot touch your soul. And the word of God is spirit. So you need to realize my soul and your soul can be trained to take in as much word of God it needs. You'll never get tired. you never get tired. Your body, yes, but not your soul. Your soul never gets tired. And these are fundamentals we need to understand. Imagine these people are there. They are standing there in that square. And the, from morning till midday, Ezra is reading the word of God. He's reading. Genesis is interesting. Exodus is interesting. And after that, <laughs> Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they are taking it in. Taking it in. Because everything that is written into it is becoming life for them. It is becoming life for them. It is just not words on a scroll. It is life for them. If that, the word of Moses, has become life for them, how much more the word of Christ. If you turn to John chapter 1 and verse 17, this is what talk difference between Moses and us. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's a question we need to ask. If these people who came through captivity and gone through hell and back are able to stand there from morning till evening and listen to the law of Moses, how come the people of the new covenant are tired of the truth? And tune off. And do not have the capacity to receive truth that came through Jesus Christ. Well, the law only brought death. Well, grace and truth brings life. It's the questions we need to ask. And nobody is complaining. Remember, nobody is complaining. Okay. Oh, the meeting is too long. Nobody is complaining. It is too long. You know what? That is when revival takes place. You have to read the accounts of the Welsh revival and all. Nobody complained. Everything shut down. The whole thing shut down. Towns, villages, everything shut down. People, everything shut down. People were packed in the house of God. And all the way was listening to the word, praying, repenting, crying out. And you know, nobody had to do anything. God did it. Because you know what? The word was given its prominence once again. The word of God became the center around which people's lives were being built. And not sports and not entertainment. It was the word of God. And that's the difference between, you will see, between Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I see these three pictures. We, in the, uh, we don't have to go there, but we will go there in chapter three of Revelation. For me, Sardis is a picture of the mainline traditional churches. It's got a reputation of being alive, but it is dead. What is it? They have these huge, massive structures. As you structures, they have the money, they have the, they have it all, the cathedrals and the churches and all. But you know what? They are dead. They are dead. Reputation of being alive, but dead. Then you have Philadelphia. These are small churches. They hardly have anything. Okay? These are the things he says, who is holy. He who has the key of David, who opens, no one shuts. And, okay? But look at where it said, I know your works. I've said before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, but have kept my word and not denied my name. The, the only thing God talks about Philadelphia is that if you look at from outside, nobody will give you a second look. If most of this Philadelphia, in terms of uh, what you call nomenclature, these are churches who don't have buildings of their own. They are not big, but they are the ones who actually do the work. They are the ones, they will reach out, they are touching people, changing lives. What is that they have? They have kept God's word. They have the word of God. They have given the word prominence. They will live or die by the word. They have banked it all on the word and they won't deny his name. Then you have Laodicea. Laodicea for me is the mega churches. Okay. The modern, modern version of the Middle Ages cathedrals. These are the mega, not all mega churches. There are some mega churches which are very, very clear on the word and their teaching. So here, when it comes to the mega churches, God says, you are neither hot, cold, nor hot. I wish you were. But if you look at 
verse 17, they will say, I am rich, I am wealthy. I mean, what is, what is that you see about the mega church? What is that you see about the mega church? If you identify a mega church, what is the primary quality? They are rich. They are rich. They are rich. They got money. They got pots of money and they have these huge buildings and structures. And if you listen to them, either the word of God is only 30, 40 minutes, because people cannot handle more than that. It's not about the time, but time too matters. Matters. If you have a congregation who cannot handle more than 20 or 30 minutes of the word of God, there is something very serious about them. And if you have a pastor who cannot preach more than 20 or 30 or 40 minutes, there is something serious with him too. Because that is not what you see through the word of God. That is not. It's a man of God. All the men of God, starting with Moses onwards, the men of God who preached all the way to Paul and to John, you will see a man who preached the word of God and the congregation could receive it without blinking. So don't make this thing that if you preach long, there is something wrong. There is nothing wrong. Because all the men of God preach long because they put that word of God and their soul could handle it. Because if your soul can take a three-hour movie, it should be able to take our one-hour message. Okay, Or if it is one hour, you will realize it is all on emotions. All on emotions. It's all on emotions. It's not, it's not, it's not going deep in. It's not going deep in. It's all on emotions. And that is a lot And You know, Dawrisha is rich. You become wealthy. I'm in need of nothing. And I do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So you have this, and all three, if you look at it, is connected with the word of God. And to Blavodisha, what does God say? I am about to spew you out of your mouth. I am about to spew you out of your mouth. When God says, I spew you out of your mouth, what does he mean? What does he mean? What does he mean I am taking money? He's not saying, I am throwing you out of my hand. He's not, I am going to kick you with my foot. That's not what he says. He's saying, I speak. It means that I will not, I will no more speak through you. I will no more speak through you. Okay? Remember, every, every pulpit, God speaks. He says, you pulpit, you will speak, people will be entertained, they will jump, shout, scream, but I won't be speaking. And when God removes his voice from there, voice from behind the pulpit, the people are dying. Though they are think they are alive, they are already dead. That's what he's saying. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Okay? Out of my mouth. So we will see, and that is the whole thing. The whole thing we need to look at. People stood there. Okay? People stood there. And you will see in verse 4 of Nehemiah 8, that is where the first time you see a pulpit. A raised lectern. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. Okay? So he's standing up there. All these modern practices which you see in these huge cathedrals and all where you will see a priest in these places, that's what I know, where you have to go up a winding staircase and you stand up high above the congregation. It all started from Nehemiah chapter 8. Okay. This is a first lectern, first pulpit, high lifted up, okay, so that they could all say, okay, it's all good, it's all good. But the outward form should have an inward meaning. Outward form should have an inward meaning. That if we, if I have not magnified the word of God in my own life, it doesn't matter what prominence you give it outside. It's what, it's inside that matters. And that's where, and on his right hand, on his left hand, standing all these other people, the names are there, he's standing over there. So we, we magnify the word of God. And then verse 5, the people stood up. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Okay, when he opened up the scroll. Okay, now what has happened is that we also have to be careful. You need to realize that uh, the response in the West and even in India, the West response in the West and in India to a Bible, and the response to the Bible in China or the Middle East or Korea is completely different. Because most of them don't have a personal copy. 
And when they get a copy, you have to see their reaction. I've seen videos of their reaction, weeping and weeping and crying over it. Because to have heard the word of God and memorized the word of God, what they've heard, believed the word of God, and then to actually have a printed copy in their hands. So they don't have scrolls. Ezra has a scroll. And he opened and all the people are looking and this they stood up. They honored the reading of the word of God. And like we saw in verse 6, they are not a passive audience. They are a very active audience. They are saying, Amen. They bow down to the ground. And verse 7 and 8 says, lifting up of the hands. And these are the people. The names we leave them aside, the Levites. Help the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their places. Okay, They helped them to understand the law. If you come to Deuteronomy 33 and verse 10, this is what they were supposed to do. Deuteronomy 33. Yeah, They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. That's the job of the Israelites, of the Levites, to teach, to teach. Okay, What's the purpose of priesthood? What is the purpose of the teaching ministry in the church? Is to teach people the ways of God. The ways of God. Okay? That's the purpose. And if we do not teach the word of God in the church, the question is, where will we teach? Where will we teach? How are going to people learn? Yes, everybody can read on their own. But God has put this teaching ministry. That is why in the five call, fivefold calling, you have the apostles, you have the prophets, you have the evangelists, you have the pastors, you have the teachers. And if you look at five of them, what is common about all five of them? They all preach the word of God. Yet there is his fifth one, which is called teaching. And every pastor has to be a teacher. You cannot, every teacher is not a pastor. But every pastor has to be a teacher. Teaching ministry is fundamental into the kingdom of God. And that's what the church began. When the church began, if you go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, you will see, 41, you will see 3,000 are baptized. They become Christians for the first time. Those who gladly received his word. That is how it begins. Gladly received his word. You know, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Every day you will see it is in the evenings. They came or mornings, whenever they were, wherever the apostles were. They gathered steadfastly for the apostles' doctrine, for the teaching of the word of God. These are signs of life. These are signs of life, which we know in our body. One of the first things when you wake up in the morning is that after half an hour or so, your stomach starts grumbling because it realizes, you know what? You've been fasting, breaker. I'm hungry. I am hungry. Okay? We need to understand that if there is no hunger for the teaching of the word of God, either you are dead or dead or on the point, on the way of being dead. It's a simple thing. It's as, as simple as that. As simple as that. Okay, And we have to come back to that. We have to put the word of God right. See, as long as we don't we, we don't bring the word of God back to its primary position, all we are doing is putting band-aid on our problems. It is not going to go away. Even if it goes away for a season, it is like a recurring infection. It will keep coming back the problem. It is not going to go away. This is what, and ultimately what will God will do? God will allow a man or a family or a church or a nation to go into slavery. Until we learn to value the word of God again. When you will no longer look at your watch, you will no longer put, put aside the word of God for other things until the word of God takes prominence in your life. Back again. He, he will not, because you know what? <clears throat> it's, that's why it is called the word of God. Is called the word of God. Now let me ask this question. Take the word of God out. What do we have of God? Hardly anything. Take any person. Think about any person you know. Take his communication out. What do you have left? Nothing. Nothing. Hardly anything. Just an image. Nothing. It's a communication that makes the person. Okay? And that's why this is called the word of God. This is called the word of God. And if we don't reverence the word of God, 
God is not going to listen to our cries. We're going to listen to our cries. He may give a band-aid and put it over there because his rain falls upon the righteous and the unrighteous. But lasting change is not going to happen to a person, to a family, to a church or a nation until that nation or the person comes back to the word of God. That is what we are seeing over here. They are now willing to listen to the word of God. We know in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, we know that. There are two parts to it. Right? Jose, not Nehemiah. Jose, Jose, yeah? Jose. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And what knowledge? It's the knowledge of God. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Remember what happened to the priesthood of Israel? They had rejected the word of God. And he rejected them. Now Ezra the scribe, Ezra the priest who had turned his heart to seek the knowledge of God, to do it and to teach it. It's a restoration. Restoration. You know, you know when revival takes place? When genuine revival takes place, all these motivational speakers will fall to the ground. The people will start looking for teachers. Start looking for genuine teachers. Teach us the word of God. Enough of hearing of these pep talks about how good we are and how great and how many um, promises we have this month to claim. And Enough of all that. Teach us serious things. Teach us things that will give us confidence to stand before the judgment seat of God. Because we suddenly realize this life is transitory. It doesn't need much in this life. What matters is eternity is coming. Can I stand with confidence before eternity, before God? Or will I be ashamed? Give us real serious things. Teach us things that really, really matter to God. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I was talking to the priests. I will also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. That's what happened for 70 years when two generations died. He forgot the children. So die in Babylon. Die. Go. Not only they were slaughtered in the invasion, the others were token, just assimilated into the Babylonian culture. That is another death. A living death. One was a physical death, the other. You look at US. <laughs> the Barna poll came last week for the first time. America has become a nation where less people go to church than ever. The majority does not go to church anymore. So it's true. America is no longer a Christian nation. No longer a Christian nation. Yet you have more churches than ever. Every corner has a church. And how come people don't? You know why? Because the pulpits have been taken over by people who do not preach the word. They do not preach the word. They are motivational speakers. Motivational speakers. And God said, because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Okay, so if there is one way back, Nehemiah shows. The people in Nehemiah's time shows the walls are done. The gates are hung. But it's irrelevant if the people inside are dead. They ask for the word to be brought back. In Isaiah chapter 5, the same thing God says, verse 13 and 14. Isaiah 5 and verse 13 and 14. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. They're honorable men. Working? Net? Are we back? Okay. Because they have no knowledge, their honorable men are famished. Who are the honorable men? The men who should be teaching. Now what happened? The men, this is not talking about physical food. This is talking about soul. The state of their soul. Their spiritual. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. What is it talking about? It is talking about the word of God. Their soul have dried up. And that is why on the final day of the great feast, 
Jesus stood up and said, all those who are thirsty, come and drink. They are dried up with thirst. And what is the result? The result is people are dying in their sins. Therefore, Sheol or grave or hell has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Hell has grown. People are just dying. Why? Because there is no knowledge of the word of God. There is knowledge of God in their community. My people have gone into captivity. People are just dying in their sins. And they think they are going to heaven. But they are not going to heaven. They are going to hell. Hell which was prepared for the devil and his angels is now enlarging. One place it's enlarging. Their glory, their multitude, their pomp and he who is jubilant, they are all descending into it. You know why? Because the word of God was neglected. The word of God was neglected. That's what you see in Nehemiah chapter 8 and words 9 and 10. 9 and 10. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest, the scribe, the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not moan nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. They started weeping. Started weeping. No, they started weeping. Why were they weeping? When they heard the Lord. Listen to the word of God. They listen to the looks and says, This is why we lost. This is why we went into captivity. This is why we lost our families. This is why our children were destroyed. You know why? Because it was written, we never read, we never bothered, we ignored the word of God at our own peril. As we close and before we go to prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 14 to 21. Seven verses. This is when the young Josiah and the book of the law, right? Young king. And see what happens. It's a, a 34 verses. 34 verses 14 to 21. Okay. When they brought out the money that was for, remember this is a good time. Good time. But there is no word of God. There is a temple. There is religion. Like you see, there are churches every day. There is mass. There is celebration. All these things. But there is no word of God. There is no word of God. Same thing. The priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And what happens? Elkia answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, another scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of God. Elkia gave the book to Shaphan. Okay, we have preached about this many times. Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants, they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Mikhail, Shaphan, the scribe, and Asiyah, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. He understand why Israel has gone into captivity and Judah is hanging on the balance. And revival begins. And you know during Josiah's time, nothing happens because he cries out to the Lord. The king cries out. It's the same thing that this this is happening, of course, much before Nehemiah 8. But if the nation had continued like that, Nehemiah 8 would not have been there. They would not have gone into captivity. But you know what? Revivals only tarry for a season. And the next generation goes back to idolatry. They depart away from the word of God. Word of God. Ultimately, it will happen. You know, everything is temporary. We know that. Ultimately, the Antichrist will be taken, taking over. But there will be a church. The church which will stand there strong, stand in the Word of God, and they will not be moved. They will not be shaken. That is Philadelphia. And only to that church. But remember, it is not enough that we keep His Word. It is not enough that we do not deny His name. Um, uh, Revelation chapter 3. And words, even to that church, a warning is given. I think it's words 10 or 12. Yeah. Yeah. Because 10. 
because you have kept my command to persevere. That is the key. You have to persevere in it. Continue till the end in it. Will not. And everything, like it's happening in US, everything is turning against it, against the Christian part of that nation. Everything is turning. The borders are loose. Laws are being I mean, this uh, stimulus checks and the money and the everything. Ultimately, it is. If you go and ask nine out of ten of the young people, they like it. I'll tell you. If you, if you, I'm, I'm saying you watch out this thing. If you look at the opinion polls of Biden, okay, he's down only in the border crisis. He's up in everything else. Because once a nation becomes lazy and does not want to work, just feed our habits, that nation is gone. It's gone. It is gone. It is not possible for that nation to come back. Okay, and America is at the verge of collapse. At the verge of collapse. Okay, you know why? Because they were fed lies from the pulpit. They were fed lies from the pulpit. They were fed an easy prosperity of naming it and claiming it where their prosperity never had hard work, thrift, saving and suffering. It was never there for the past 40 years. What I have been preached to them is a false gospel. It has gone into the ethos of that nation. Now you know what they think it is. They can live of debt. What is this? Trillions. It's just debt. It's debt. Who's going to pay it? And they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. The nation is in the verge of collapse. And the enemy likes it. The enemy will allow it to happen. And God will also allow it to happen. Sorry, the enemy will bring it on and God will allow it. If that's what you want, that's what you get. All around the world you will realize the people are being made dependent on the system. Dependent upon the system. And people are fine with it. It's okay. They're coming to the point of having what is called universal, uh, um, what do you call it? Support from the system, from the government. Everybody will get a paycheck. Think about it honestly. Do we like it? Ask in our own church. Ask the young people. If the government were to give you 10,000 rupees a check every month, would you take it? Would you take it? Would you take it? People will take it without working. I mean, what do you have to do for it? Nothing. Really nothing? Yeah, nothing. Is there no catch in it? No catch in it. But the catch is that they take your liberties away one by one. Liberties away one by one. You know? Why would you want money without working? You know? Why would you want money without working? You know? Why would you take money without working? You know what? And that's that's the key. You know, God says He's the one who gives us the ability to to make wealth. That means there is ability, there is work, there is wealth. Okay. Okay. Okay, now they're talking about cancelling of all the student loans. Now wait a second. How can you cancel a student loan? Did you take a loan? Yeah. Did you study? Yes. Paid off. Like my elder son just said, paid everything off. You feel good. You feel good. You paid it off. Okay, you worked for it. You paid it off. No. I took a loan, the government pays it off. And you know what? It's very difficult. Very difficult to get a young set of people to. So ultimately, what happens becomes your soul becomes so weak. Soul weak. And that's what Psalm 106 and verse 15 says. 106 verse 15 says, ultimately, God will give you, hand you over. Okay. He gave them their request. He gave them. Whatever they asked, he gave them. Is that what you want? But sent leanness into their soul. Leanness into their soul. At the end of the result of it is what? The soul does not have the capacity to handle truth. It does not have the capacity to handle the word of God, the knowledge of God. And God allows it to happen. And at the end of it, where did this begin? This began in the wilderness. 
How did it end? It ended up 400, 500, 1,000 years late. Think about it. Children of Israel coming out, and then 40 years of Joshua, 490 years of the judges, and 490 years of the kings. So it's almost a 1,000 years later. Where are they? They're back in captivity in Babylon. Out of the captivity of Egypt, a 1,000 years later, they are back in captivity in Babylon. And after that captivity of 70 years, one small group alone comes out of it. They are ready to receive the word of God. The same picture. A remnant will come out and the remnant will be always ready for the word of God. And that's what God is talking about. So ultimately God's eyes are on the remnant. His eyes is not on the others. His eyes is on the remnant. Because if I and you and we do not magnify the word of God, But that's one thing we have. God is not going to be magnified in our midst. He's not going to be magnified in our midst. So when we pray and we ask for a move of the Holy Spirit and a sweep of the Holy Spirit, it is that the word of God will again become the scent. Okay, that's how America began. And now America is ending as a nation by throwing God and his word out. Okay. America has to return. If God has to give them a fresh lease of life, the word of God has to come back. It's no other way. It's no other way. If Europe has to come back, the word of God has to come back. We don't need another revival. We need another reformation. We need a second reformation where it is again sola scriptura. The word of God is magnified because he has magnified his word above all his name. Now we shall pray. Come, honey. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, this first day of this fourth month. The entrance of your word brings light. Your word is light. Your word is life. Your word is spirit. You have never done anything outside the word. You have never done anything without the word. Everything is held together by the power of your word. Yet the most neglected book in the church today is the word of God. The most neglected book in the life of Christians is the word of God. We need Ezra's to rise. We need Nehemiah's. We need strong men like Nehemiah who will cry out to hear, who will come and build the walls, hang the gates. But Lord, we need Ezra's as much even more than Hamayas. We need Ezra's who will stand and teach the word of God without tiring. We need a people to arise like those people did and call for the Ezra's. When revival takes place, when the spirit of God moves, the people will demand to be taught. The word of God will again have its preeminence in that society, in that home, in that church, in that life. And everything that does not agree with the word of God will be thrown away. People will be willing to stand, to live, and to die by the word. Because what defeated the enemy was the word of God. For they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It was the word of God that came out of their mouths. Revelation 19, 12 and 13 says, O Lord, his name is word of God. King of kings and Lord of lords and his name is word of God. We neglect the word of God at our own peril. Jesus, you said on that day, all judgment has been given over to me, but I will not judge you. On that day, the word that you have heard will judge you. These are the words of God himself. 
for how to live now and how to prepare for judgment then. It's all there with us, given to us. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not even a dot from this word. And if revival has to take place, the word has to come back and take its rightful place in the church. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about the church, the Christian, the Christian home. The word has to take its place. We have to be people devoted to the word of God. And I pray this first day, Lord, we will come back to the word. We will give preeminence to the word, what you have spoken, to the ways of God that is revealed through the word of God. For it is health to a whole man's body. It is the word that brings salvation. It is the word that brings healing. It is the word that brings deliverance. Even today, for those who are not well, it is the word that brings healing. To those who are oppressed, it is the word that sets us free. Help us, Lord. Create us in that hunger, Lord, as that people had at that time. From morning till midday, they stood and listened attentively to the word of God. For the word of God was speaking to them in each one of their situations. And they were mourning, they were crying, they were weeping because they looked at all they had lost in their lives and they knew it was because they had departed from the word. And Lord, you had spoken to us 2,000 years ago. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh is looking to the world. The word of God profits nothing to the flesh. The flesh tunes it off. It shuts the word out. But Lord, we do not want to shut the word out. We want to open our hearts, our minds, our soul to the word of God. Speak to us, Lord. It is not too long. It is not too long. It may seem like too long, but it is not too long. Because it's life. Let your word become life for us again. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us. So that we can say like the psalmist, as the deer panders for the water. So my soul longs after you for your word. Revive us again, Lord.